Good evening. Continuing with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami, 51st Anocheda, the Lord's form is the supreme absolute reality. In the previous sections, Srila Jiva Goswami has established that the Lord's form is eternal and transcendental. He substantiates this here by referring to the experience of Sri Brahma, one of the twelve authorities, Mahajans, on the complete absolute, known as Bhagavan. Brahma recited these verses in glorification of Sri Narayan at the dawn of creation. Being eager to create, yet uncertain how to proceed, he prayed to the Supreme Lord, the abode of all knowledge. In this world, everyone is imperfect and must depend on others, even for material knowledge. Brahma knew this very well. Without faith in the scriptures and in the sages, who have directly realized them, nobody can approach the absolute truth. That's from the commentary of Sachin Das. And it's interesting here, this Brahma's knowledge, he recognized the fact that even to perform the material creation, he needed to have sufficient knowledge to do so, and that would only be available to him uh, by approaching the Supreme Lord. So we should see that even though he was eager, he, he had the impetus, the desire to create, he was overcome with that desire to create. He's a guna avatar, and the mode of passion is his this is stock and trade, so to speak. So the nature of passion is this desire to to manifest something. So he's the embodiment of that. So he has it in spades to the nth degree. So much so that uh, he can be inspired to manifest an entire universe. It takes a lot of willpower to to want to create a universe. A lot of determination. So these verses that are going to be used as the Praman verses, the evidential verses, uh, to substantiate the points that Rupa Go, uh, that Jiva Goswami wants to uh, bring out in this Anucheta, were spoken by Brahma uh, just prior to him. prior to his manifestation of the material universe. So one thing that's interesting in this regard is the transcendental nature of the absolute truth. That um, there cannot be a distinction between the Lord and his transcendental body. You can't have two transcendental truths, two absolute truths. 
otherwise they would be in conflict with each other. So that when we look to the absolute, there's no distinction between himself and his name and his form and his activities. Otherwise, you'd have different absolute truths. You have the Leela. But you, if you look at the Leela as independent of the Supreme, then that's an incomplete vision. Or if you look at the form of God as being anything other than God, like he has a body. Oh, look, God has a body. It's, it's, an in, it's a misconception because... Otherwise, then there'd be an absolute truth that would be independent of the absolute truth. Or the name of the Lord is separate from the Lord. It's not separate from the Lord. It is the Lord. His name, his form, his qualities, they're all of his transcendental nature, surup shakti. So Brahma singles out that very form present directly before him. So he's He's relaying these prayers after the Lord's appeared to him. Uh, if we remember a little bit of the backstory, Brahma didn't know where he was. And uh, he didn't really know what he was supposed to do. Imagine, well, I. But he had intelligence. Generally, when he was able to. To perceive, and he's—he had all his working facility. He was born fully grown. He didn't grow up gradually sitting on the lotus. He wasn't like a baby on the lotus, and then a young boy on the lotus, and then no, he was—he—he he was manifest. He was born on a lotus, but he was built born completely knowledgeable so he had a background of knowledge but it wasn't complete he didn't know how he got there he just was able to perceive the environment he was in so he had some opulence in knowledge at that time but not not a complete awareness of of how to accomplish the creation. So he sought out a source, climbed down the lotus, looking for somebody to could tell him, you know, help him out a little bit uh, and he didn't he didn't he didn't find anyone there went back to the, to the lotus the top of the lotus and he heard from the sky tapa so there was some instruction so he was given some some beginning instruction and from that he did uh, begin to contemplate the nature of his being. Who am I? How did I get here? What am I supposed to do? Not far off from what somebody that comes to some deeper understanding of their situation uh, would think. 
about. And based on the sincerity of his contemplation in following those simple instructions to 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 think deeply, to engage in uh, tapa, to to renounce. Well, there was not much around to renounce, but to to contemplate. Uh, the Lord personally appeared before him. So these prayers that are being relayed in this Anucheta are at that period in time. Brahma is has had a darshan with the Lord, and he's he's manifested himself personally in front of Brahma, and Brahma is offering him respects, and he's offering this devotional service with some intent in mind. And his intent is to execute his prescribed duty as he sees it, which is to manifest the material creation. So he has some some inner sense of what he wants to accomplish. And therefore he's he's doing his these prayers with that intent in mind. It means all the world to us what our intent is. And the more we enter into the narrations of the Bhagavatam, the more we see that how that intent plays out in the fulfillment of the devotee's desires. Especially if there is some tinge of any other intent on their part. Take, for example, Dhruva Maharaj, which we were discussing. Dhruva Maharaj had the intent, and he really didn't, he wasn't looking to become self-realized or to recognize the Supreme Lord and entering enter into a a relationship with him of service or love or any relationship. He wanted a kingdom, and he wanted he wanted he wanted to sit on the throne. Now, when he recognized the supreme lord and the and the overwhelming joyfulness that can be had on in his association and by rendering service to him. He saw his intent as broken pieces of glass, and the Lord is a gem. But still, the nature of his intent during his service, he was given a service by Narada, chant this, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, and, and contemplate the Supreme Lord. Dhruva added some austerity, actually some pretty severe austerity for a boy of five years old, but he was content on getting his mind under control and, and chanting this mantra with full and absolute concentration. So that required for him to withdraw from any other sensual activity. He saw that as, as very instrumental. But because he had that initial intent, 
the Lord said, okay, you can have me. I will be your gem. And I'll also give you the broken glass. And he got the kingdom of his father for some tens of thousands of years, I think it was 38,000 years, he had to be on the king's throne. And then he was given, because in that intent there was also that desire to have a kingdom as great as the creator of the universe, he was given a planet in the material universe, and he was made king of that planet. So we have Druvaloka. It's a transcendental planet, but it's still within the realm of the material jurisdiction. Not that he's within material life, but it's just to, it's a way for us to see how important is intent. Uh, we hear of Bali Maharaj and his desire to give completely himself to the Lord, but he had a desire to to have Indra's position. And he's going to have it. The next Manvantara is his. He will be the next Manu. Manu is kind of a little bit more than even Indra. He has a long jurisdiction and he's in charge of maintaining Dharma. I don't know if you can actually say it's more than Indra, but it's it's significant. It's a reign as long as Indra's for sure. And, I mean, he stole Indra's kingdom and you know, he'd basically become Indra. That was his... So the Lord... That's why Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, in, in establishing his Sampradaya, and we chant this verse, we just chanted the verse, Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitram Vajagadisha Kamahe I want no amount of wealth, no number of followers... You know, I just want to be your servant life after life. I don't even care for moksha. So artha, dharma, kama, moksha, any little desire on our part directed towards that, we, we need to see there could be a consequence because of that. We call that mixed devotional service. We have another intent. Our real intent should be to have no intent except the devotional service. That's, that's a really high rung on the ladder. Well, if we still have some material intent, then our desire should be, at least my desire would be, that all material intent leaves before I get to a stage before I get to the stage beyond sadhana bhakti. If I can make it to Nista, let me be truly fully fully fixed 
and fully faithful with the stage of nitsta without any lingering intense. Because sure as Krishna, he's going to fulfill your desires in such a way that, well, they're not going to come up again, but do we want to make a mistake like that if it can be avoided, I think is the main point. We want to avoid that kind of a mistake. We don't want to end up in a deer's body, even if we have full comprehension. It's still a deer's body. And where there's deers, there's also predators. Could if we can avoid it, it's it's probably a good thing. These impressions we have for enjoyment within the material realm, as much as we can ground ourselves in a deep understanding of Sambanda Gyan, it's really good for our practice to do so. I read something by one contemporary guru and he said something to the effect that your spiritual progress is dependent upon how much time you spend reading. Well, I understood his point but it's a detail, not a principle. The underlying message is good, but it needs to be elaborated upon to just come out with a, what do we call those little things now? Memes or whatever. Huh? Memes. Memes. That if you want to make real spiritual advancement, you got to read. No, that's not it. There are, well, depending on who you ask, there are different items of pure devotional service. Rupa outlines 64 in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And Prahlad Maharaj, he, he, he has a smaller list of nine items, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Akshanam, Vandanam. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, well, the essence is contained in these five items. Chanting, hearing the Bhagavatam, worshipping the deity, having a good association and serving the Vaishnavas, and living in a holy place. These five things are the most potent forms of devotional service. We don't see in any of those lists reading directly. Hearing the Bhagavatam we, we, is there, and we can certainly hear by reading, but we can also hear by hearing from those that read. Maybe we're not a reader. So it doesn't mean that you can't advance in devotional service if you don't read. You can advance just as far as a reader can, maybe even further depending on how good your hearing is and how much you're applying yourself and turning your consciousness towards Krishna in everything that you do, in everything that you, you know, in everything. So we need to, we need to know the fundamentals of Sambandha Gyan. That's a given.
and you can get a good firm situation in Sambandagyan by reading, but it's not the only way. And you can't use the ruler of reading as the measurement of someone's devotional aptitude, qualification, or intent. It's uh, it would be a miss. So these the people that put themselves in the position of the guru, they need to present a well-rounded presentation. And not that this particular godbrother of mine is not doing that overall, but you need to back up strong statements like that with with some some further explanation, or people can misunderstand them and misapply such an instruction. Prabhupada, at one point, and and well, at one point, at many points, to his young disciples, said many things. But if you do not place them in context, then they can be misunderstood and actually be detrimental to one's devotional advancement. Like, don't associate with my godbrothers. Maybe at a certain point that was okay. It's like, don't associate with the other big boys at school because they'll get you in trouble. But at a certain point, you do grow up yourself, so you may need to learn something from them. Going back to the Anucheta. In this way it has been established that the form of the Lord is indeed the absolute, supreme absolute truth because it is eternal, all pervading in the shelter of everything, distinct from all gross and subtle material objects, beyond sense perception, self-luminous, and that in which all the statements of the Shrutis find reconciliation. This was experienced by the most wise Brahma who clearly described Bhagavan's form in the following three verses. So, Jiva is writing a small introduction to his Anucheta here. And now let's look at these verses and see what he wants to draw from these verses uh, for our deeper understanding of what is the supreme absolute truth? This whole Anucheta is what is God? Simple. But not so simple. We can glot, we can read verses and we may not understand the underlying um, truths that are there. Uh, deeply and in fact we may misunderstand them as I just said in a simple statement made by one sage of contemporary sage we can un- misunderstand oh well the devotees are the devotees that read and the people that don't read aren't really the good devotees it's a misunderstanding we don't want that so the first verse these are from the third canto, ninth chapter. You, this is Brahma speaking, 
to the Supreme Lord, you, who are eternally free of ignorance due to the upsurge of overwhelming taste in the form of knowing, have assumed this form from the very beginning in order to bless the true. This form is the unique seed from which hundreds of avatars arise, and I myself have appeared from its lotus navel, which is my home. So the Lord's form itself is is a manifestation of avabodhorasa, the taste of knowledge, his form alone. There's no difference between his form and knowledge of him. Everything's on the absolute platform. Simply having that darshan of the Lord's form in and of itself is sufficient to convey all knowledge to one. There would be no other requirement. Just seeing Krishna would give you all knowledge if you had that vision. That's how, it's the absolute truth. The embodiment. So, if you see Krishna, the books books can stay on the shelf. In fact, you won't even want to go back to the books. You'll want to be with Krishna. The point's there. Now, how to explain the truth, the revolution, revelation you've experienced, well, that, that you may not have been able to put all the words together. Dhruva couldn't put the words together, but he knew it all. Just by seeing Krishna, he knew it all. He just couldn't get the words out. So Krishna touched him with the conch shell and then he could put it in, he could say it properly. But he already knew it, is the point. And the method, the delivery method, he was granted that by Krishna. He was given that power, that shakti. Uh, So Brahma next says that the form he sees is the source of hundreds of avatars. Comparing that form to a seed, bij, in the same way that a single seed is the source of a tree with numerous branches and fruits. A transcendental seed remains intact, though. So, uh, transcendental seed, it isn't like a material seed from which we have a tree or some plant with its fruits and flowers and limbs. The seed itself is always there as a seed and also fully manifests as the result of the seed. Another example. Deparchirevahi dasantaram abhyupetya dipayate vivrita hetu samana dharma Yastadrig Evahi Cha Vishnu Tayavibati Govindam Hadipurusham Tamahamba Jami. Also from Brahma's Samhita. When the flame of one lamp is transferred from one wick to another, the second lamp burns separate from the original source, but remains the same in all characteristics. 
I adore the primeval Lord Govinda who, in the same manner, manifests himself in the various forms of Vishnu. So some comments from Sridhar Swami here. But before, what, what was your question? So Sridhar elaborating on Brahma's verse in his commentary to the Bhagavatam, the Lord raises an objection. So Sridhar's, again, we see either Jiva or Sridhar or Vishwanath, they, they always present these. Well, the Lord could, could raise an objection to such a prayer. It could be this. So speaking on the Lord's behalf, Sridhar Swami says in his commentary, the Lord raises an objection. Quote, your understanding is surely imperfect. Is not the form seen by you also made of the three gunas of nature? Only unqualified Brahman is the absolute reality. Remember Sridhar's commentary and put it in the context of his time and his place and his audience. In answer, Brahma speaks the following two verses. So then Sridhar says, well, the following two verses that Brahma speaks in his prayers to Vishnu, to Krishna, uh, will answer this doubt of his body being made of the gunas of nature and that the real absolute truth being the impersonal conception. Ignorance is permanently absent from you. Through the upsurge of taste in the form of knowing, avabodha rasodayena, i.e. by the presence of your conscious potency, chit-shakti, you have assumed Grihita, this form, meaning you have manifested it by your independent will for the purpose of blessing the true, sad anugrahaya, anugrahaya. Your worshippers, this form is the sole fountainhead of hundreds of other avatars, which are all situated in pure being, Visuddha Sattva. To illustrate this, Brahma shows that this form is the source of the guna avatars by the phrase, I myself have appeared from its lotus navel, which is my home. The next verse used as evidence is Brahma's next verse from the Bhagavatam. O Supreme One, I do not perceive your essence, which is bliss alone. I'm sorry. I do not perceive your essence. I do not perceive your the essence of what is you, Sara. I don't perceive that which is bliss alone, undifferentiated being and unobstructed effulgence as anything different from this form. I do not perceive your essence. What is what are you? I don't perceive it as different than the form I'm seeing. It is the same, it's the same as the form, it's, it's your undifferentiated being, your, your very existence of being 
the exact opposite of everything that's material, which is fully differentiated into so many things, and unobstructed effulgence. I don't see any of those things different from my perception of your form that I'm seeing here before me. I therefore take shelter of this form, which is unique, which creates the universe, and yet remains distinct from it, being the self and essence of the material elements in the senses. I'm not sure if this is a continuation of uh, Sridhar's comments. So they're either Sridhar's or Jivago Swamis. Because I, oops, they are Sridhar Swamis because much later. So this whole Anucheda is the comments of Sridhar Swami's Bhagavatam commentary. Then, quite a ways further along as we progress here, he says, thus ends Sridhar's comments. So we have Brahma and Sridhar Swamis. So Sridhar Swami continuing, O Supreme One, your essence is unobstructed effulgence, avida, avidvida varcha, meaning that the Lord's radiance or brilliance is without covering. Because of this, it is undifferentiated, avikalpa, which is to say that it is one of one nature devoid of distinction. For this reason, your essence is nothing but bliss, anandamatra. Although such is your essence, I do not perceive it as beyond. Para, or in other words, different from this form. Rather, this very form is your essence. For this reason, I take shelter of your form. So three words are there here, and we're going to look at a little bit of these three words. Um, in Brahma's second prayer. First word is, all three of these words are describing his, himself, his swarup, his nature. So Brahma said three things in this prayer. Your form is pure bliss, ananda matra, absolutely free from the gunas of nature. It's fully joyful. And that's opposed to the gunas of nature, which are full of misery. The Lord's both the material as well as the efficient. And then we add the word cause, but efficient is cause. It's the efficient. It's what sets things in motion. Yet he is distinct from them. So he is the material cause. And then he is the causing agent, which brings about the evolution of the cosmos. More on that in a minute. But he's distinct from them, and that's something we're not accustomed to. Generally, we see in the effect the causal ingredient, yogurt. 
The cause of yogurt is milk and a milk culture. When we get the yogurt, the milk disappears. It was there and now it's yogurt. Well, Krishna can manifest a universe and he's still 100% Krishna. Om Purnam Araha Purnamidam He's the complete, everything's coming from him. It's also perfect and complete. He's perfect and complete, the Upanishad verse says, and everything coming from him is a perfect manifestation. More on that, especially in material, in looking at material nature, because then we'd say, well, isn't there some imperfection in material nature? No, there isn't. There's misapplication. That's another thing. But the Lord, when he manifests the material universe, when it, the universe has come forth, pour forth, stream forth, I mean, you can, they're uncountable. Uh, he doesn't go through any change. We're not used to that. We're not used to that. Everything in material nature, if you want a tree, the seed will be gone and it will become a tree. So the Lord is sometimes compared to a touchstone. You touch a touchstone to iron and it, it will turn into gold. Um, or a magnet. If you put a magnet on iron, then the iron itself will become magnetized. But it, it doesn't take anything away from the magnet. It's not like the magnet loses any of its being a magnet, whatever wordology you'd want to use. It doesn't lose its magnetism by making something else magnetic. So basically, our understanding is that the, the initiation of, of the material creation is coming from the, the Pradhana of the Lord, uh, which is the source of Rajas and Thomas. Um, but a modification of that Pradhana, that life breath, which is coming from him, which is the initial element of a material manifestation, a material universe, that coming from him uh, doesn't, it doesn't affect him. And the modifications to that initial outpouring of energy, they affect the energy, but they do not affect him. So his form and his personality are not affected by any modifications that can happen to the life force that becomes the material manifestations. Another word that Brahma uses is avikalpa, undifferentiated. So the first one is pure bliss and then undifferentiated. 
Unlike Pradhana, which transforms into many categories of elements, such as Mahat, cosmic intellect, material ego, the senses, sense objects, and the material elements, those material elements contain specific qualities which aren't in the source, the Mahat. So the cosmic intellect, gradually the cosmos, as it manifests from that life force, Pradhan of, the, of, of, of Vishnu, his breath, so to speak, uh, specific qualities manifest as, as, as these transformations take place. And those transformations bring about duality. Thus we have the world of duality. But there's no such duality in the source, the Supreme Lord. So therefore he's undifferentiated. And our experience is completely differentiated. Beginning with false ego. We, we perceive a differentiation between that energy and ourself and a non-differentiate. So we, we see that energy as, as as our essential being to some extent. Don't? That means we identify with material nature. The third word or phrase Avida Varcha, because the Lord is unadulterated bliss, Ananda Matra, and without any material divisions, Avi Kalpa, so he's Ananda Matra, he's fully full of bliss, he has no material divisions, although material divisions spring forth from the initial energy. That is, uh, the life breath of material manifestation. Uh, he is self-luminous, avida, varcha. And what's what we can understand from this is he's self-luminous. There's no amount of energy one can apply to him to the absolute truth to acquire knowledge of him self-luminous our intellect will not illuminate what is God we will not be able to shine the flashlight on the supreme absolute truth and understand there is the supreme. He's self-luminous. Nothing we can do will illuminate our understanding of him. So being self-luminous entails being only understood by your own mercy. 
So these three qualities Brahma's brought out in the first of these three prayers that are being used as an evidence here. The material mind and senses cannot apprehend the supreme absolute truth. You're not going to be able to apply your mind and your senses to, to perceive the supreme. So three things. He's full of bliss. He has no influence by the modes of material nature. He's undifferentiated. There's nothing that is not. And he's self-luminous. He can only, you're only going to know about him if he wants to let you know. And if he didn't want you to know, he wouldn't manifest the material universe. This has come out in the prior Anuchetas that the whole purpose behind the Shristi Leela, the manifestation of the material universe, is so that the Supreme can provide an opportunity for us to have an awareness of him. Sridhar Swami continues uh, to give some more characteristics, and uh, there's more verses from Brahma here. We'll stop here for now. Thank you so much for your association.